The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. The scripture reading today is from Galatians chapter 2, verses 1-5. through 5. Then, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Molly. Uh, Good morning, everybody. We're continuing our series in Galatians, and uh, I'll start this way. When Ann Coulter and Barack Obama agree on something, we should all listen. So, uh, so Ann Coulter, the conservative media personality, tweeted recently, good for Obama, I'm not being sarcastic. And when she did that, she was referring to uh, an article from the New York Times that she linked to where the former president critiques what he calls false activism. This is where you, you get in there and, and act like an activist, but not in a way that costs you anything. Um, And he goes on in that article and he says that the current state of things is that we all live in what's called a call-out culture. We're always calling each other out. Uh, And uh, he says we live in a culture where wokeness, uh, which is, you know, defined as sensitivity to mistreatment of certain people groups, which, by the way, is by itself a really good and important Think to be sensitive and active uh, to stop the mistreatment of certain people groups. But, he says, this wokeness culture can very quickly turn into a culture of judgmentalism. And he goes on and he says, this idea that you are never compromised and you are always woke, when uh, you, you really should get over that idea quickly. The world is messy, there are ambiguities, people do really good stuff who also have flaws. People you are fighting against may actually also love their kids and share certain things in common with you. And so, so another name that, that we put on this is cancel culture, where people are always canceling each other out, trying to render each other voiceless and irrelevant. It, it's all over cable news. It's in the political process. It's all over social media feeds. It's where where groups of people who have a shared set of values, this is what culture, cancel culture is, where groups of people who have a shared set of values go public with how they are offended by other groups of people who have different value systems, and instead of pursuing relationship and attempting to persuade, you just gang up on that other group and you try to cancel them. You try to rule them out, render them irrelevant. And the message that cancel culture sends is, we're fed up with you, and we don't, have, we don't want to have anything to do with you. So even Ann Coulter and Barack Obama 
agree on this. And if you're saying, well, Ann Coulter and Barack Obama are both cancel culture people because one cancels out this group and the other tries to cancel out this group, you're proving that you're part of cancel culture if that's what's going on in your heart. Paul is a target of what you could call first century cancel culture. There's a whole religious mob of people who want to shut him down and shut him out. They want to silence him so that his message will not gain traction, so that they can stay in control. And so today we've got a picture in our text of how Paul fights back. You know, generally speaking, people don't really like a leader who gets defensive when he's, he's criticized, but, but Paul here actually gets a bit defensive. Not because he wants to, because he has to. And he, he confronts his critics, he does it very openly. He refuses to allow himself, or especially the message that he's bringing, to be canceled. You know, sometimes there's just too much at stake not to fight back. And that's what Paul's doing. So, so what I want to do today is talk about the specific message that Paul's critics are trying to cancel. And it, it's, it's a message that the human race has been trying to cancel ever since. And then I uh, want to look at our susceptibility, our own susceptibility to the false teachers. And then finally, why this mattered so much to Paul and, and therefore why it should matter so much to us. So, so first, the message that the critics wanted to cancel was the message of grace. And the message of grace says there is belonging with God and there is belonging among the people of God with every single kind of person who embraces that Jesus plus nothing else gives you belonging, gives you a right to dine at, at his table. See, the false teachers, they were halfway agreeing with this. They, they, they were saying yes to Jesus. We have come to the belief that he is the Messiah that our Old Testament scriptures and the writings of Moses have always been pointing to. So yes to that, you have to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, but you also have to be circumcised. And this is why they're called the circumcision party. You have to say yes to Jesus and his finished work for you, but you also have to be circumcised, to which Paul says in verse 3, we didn't even compel Titus to be circumcised. Now, Titus, he wrote one of the letters. He ended up writing one of the letters in the New Testament. Uh, at this time, he was a Gentile, non-Jewish, a Gentile protege of Paul and a traveling companion. Paul had taken him under his wing. Paul was mentoring him. He said, we didn't even compel Titus to be circumcised. You know, circumcision at this time represented an entire system of norms and practices that, that you could call circumcision culture. And to belong in this culture, the message went, you have to not only believe in Jesus, you also have to comply to the Jewish way. And, 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 and what they meant by Jewish way, I'll, I'll get to in a minute, but, but, but first, just to kind of frame it, every group has certain identity markers that, that, that indicate that you're part of the group. So... Um, I'll give you an example. When we first moved to New York City, 
we got invited to a Christmas party. And we went to this Christmas party, and of course, as you do at Christmas parties, I wore a red shirt and Patty wore a green shirt, and our kids dressed all Christmassy, and we showed up and everybody else was wearing a black shirt, because that's what you wear in New York City. And I was wearing khakis, but everybody else was wearing dark jeans, because that's what you wear when, you, when you're a New Yorker. And even if you didn't go to Harvard, you have to get a vocabulary that, that sounds like you went to Harvard, uh, and instead of maybe appreciating sports, which isn't that important there, you appreciate the arts and, and, and cultural things. Every group has identity markers. The other thing was we were the only people who brought our children because we didn't realize that 70% of New York City is single. And most people who are married in New York City don't have children, and so ch children just aren't part of the culture of social gatherings. So, so we felt a little bit on the outside, even though everybody was very kind to us and warm and hospitable. Um, so there, there's a certain Nashvillian uh, culture that has its own identity markers as well. It goes like this. You cheer for an SEC football team, Venison is a regular part of your diet. You have a favorite bourbon. You listen to Big 98. You know who Bobby Bones is. You actually think he's one of your personal friends. Um, and Broadway to you doesn't mean, it doesn't connect to New York City at all. <laughs> and you have yourself a good pair of boots. So, so I'm in a conversation not long ago with a couple of Music Row people, and I said, you got to get you a pair of good boots, and, and I said, I have boots, and, 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 and they're, they're like, no, not those, those pansy city slicker boots, real boots, and he said, they didn't ask us, they, 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 they didn't ask me, they told me, we're going to take you to a boot place, and we're going to show you how to try on boots, we're going to show you how to pick out a pair, and we're going to teach you about boots. Call it the Nashville circumcision. I don't know. But <laughs> if I end up, we're, we've got a date on the schedule later this month. If, I, if I'm wearing some nice boots next month, you'll know where they came from. But if I, if I don't get those boots, I know for a fact that neither of these guys will reject me on the basis of that. But the Judaizers would reject you if you didn't put your boots on. If you didn't get circumcised, if you didn't uh, adopt all the other cultural practices from the law of Moses and, and, and from, from kind of Bible world before Jesus came on the scene and fulfilled it all, right? You still, even though Christ has come and fulfilled all of it, to really belong here, you have to still keep the clean laws that Moses wrote about. If you eat certain kinds of food or wear certain kinds of fabrics or touch a dead animal, you have a nocturnal emission, you're going through a menstrual cycle, then you're unclean. You need to clean yourself up and stay clean around these various clean laws. Otherwise, you'll be unwelcome. Otherwise, you'll have to sit out there. And, and What's going on there uh, among the circumcision party is that they're, they're actually missing the entire point of 
why Moses wrote about the clean laws in the first place. Christ fulfilled every single one of them, and therefore we are no longer bound to those clean laws, those who have faith in him. And the other thing is that the only reason God gave to Moses those clean laws to pass on to the people of Israel in the first place was to show us all how utterly impossible it is to clean up our act and to stay clean enough for God to accept us on the basis of the cleanness that we have created for ourselves. We have to, be, we have to replace circumcision with baptism. We have to replace the bloody sacrament with the one that washes us. See, it's a culture of self-righteousness. And and what Paul is saying is self-righteousness is going to fail you every time. Christ's righteousness, being covered and clothed and washed by Christ, who has made you clean, that can and will make you fit for God. So the message they wanted to cancel was the message of freedom. The message of grace and the message of you don't have to make yourself clean because you already have been made clean and so live freely out of that. They're trying to cancel that message. But then secondly, let's take a few minutes to think about our own current modern day susceptibility to the false teachers. And we may say, well, I I don't care what kind of fabrics I'm wearing or, or, you know, I I eat dead meat all the time time, and I don't think I'm unclean for eating chicken or steak uh, or whatever. And, and you know, I, what's the big deal? How does this relate to us? It relates to us because we all have the same mechanisms and triggers in our heart that reveal this thing that, that, that Kathy Keller once referred to as the natural religion of every human heart, which is self-righteousness. It's very succinctly defined self-righteousness in the 18th chapter of Luke, the ninth verse, where it talks about this, this, this part of us that, that, that wants to trust in ourselves that we are righteous, that we've made ourselves clean, and we look down on other people with contempt. We cancel other people. And we, we, we cancel and, and embrace people on the basis of certain criteria. Maybe there's moral criteria, or maybe it's social criteria, like, you know, what do you do, where are you from, who do you know, how much do you make? Like, we have these cancellation policies in our hearts, even though we, we might not vocalize them. And it's so irritating. It's so irritating. Because nobody likes self-righteous person. Nobody likes a fundamentalist because a fundamentalist is so judgmental, and yet the problem is everyone is a fundamentalist. Everyone has fundamentals around which they organize their lives and upon which they build their identity. What is your righteousness? What do you look to to, to, to to say that you're valuable and you're maybe superior than to some other people that you want to cancel? A couple of diagnostic questions. First, where is it that you tend to strut? You know, with this, this kind of confident swagger. Where is it? 
Is it, is it your social circle righteousness because, you know, you, maybe you know a certain number of, of VIPs and, and you're name dropping all the time? Or maybe you've got dietary righteousness where, look, if you don't eat whole foods and if you're not gluten-free, a little suspicious of you. Or zip code righteousness because, you know, my, my zip code, my zip code of residence, that gives me a certain identity with a certain economic strata that, that looks down on other people who don't have as much as we do, looks down in, in, in contempt, or looks up at other people who have more than we do with contempt, right? Zip code righteousness. Where do you strut? Where do you think you're better than others? And who do you cancel out? Like, I cancel out people who are out of shape because I have fitness righteousness. Or I cancel out people who wear last year's fashion because I have fashion righteousness. Or I cancel out, this is one of mine, I cancel out other drivers because I have driving righteousness. You know, the comedian George Carlin said there there are basically only three kinds of people on the road. There are the sane people, the sane people who know how to drive like me, and they're the idiots who are always slowing me down, and they're the maniacs who are always passing me by. And what Carlin says is, you know what that means. That means you're, you're everybody else's idiot or maniac as well, right? So, so you, you see that it doesn't have to be like explicitly overtly religious stuff that gives us our righteousness, that, that, that makes us feel like we're clean and okay. The other, the other problem here with circumcision culture, or, you know, call it, you know, angry black t-shirt culture, you know, if, if, if you're in New York and you judge people for wearing pastel, or, or, or you know, angry boot culture, if, if you're in Nashville and you just think no self-respecting Nashvilleian, you know, won't have their own, you know, boot collection, right? By the way, I, I have yet to meet a New Yorker or a Nashvillean who is self-righteous around these things, and so it's kind of cheeky, silly examples, but I think, I think you get what I'm saying, identity markers, but we can cancel ourselves out as well. We can become harder on ourselves than God is. I think most of us have certain Achilles areas where we actually are more legalistic and harsh and punitive toward ourselves than God is. You know, Paul says in verse 4 that these false teachers, this is why it's such a serious thing, this is why it's so important for me to publicly fight back on this stuff, Paul says, is because the false teachers are trying to spy out your freedom and bring you into slavery. Now, at that time, there was not a single Galatian who had been forced into, into religious slavery by the circumcision party. Not a single person had been forced. It was all voluntary. It was all voluntary. It was all social pressure. But they volunteered to become slaves to this system instead of being free. Now, fast forward a couple thousand years. Today, a Christian may say... Only Jesus Christ makes me acceptable and gives me meaning. But in our hearts, we say only Jesus Christ plus. 
financial freedom, having a happy marriage, having children that, that, that seem like they're going to turn out okay, being woke, career success, having a certain body type, having the respect of, of my peers, feeling needed, being in control. See, we say with our mouths, oh, Jesus, and nothing else. Oh, but our hearts say something else, don't they? They say, I'm, I'm somebody if, and I'm nobody if. You know, Sue Lutz, who is a Bible teacher, says anything you add to Jesus Christ as a requirement for being happy will become a slave master that will strangle you. It will drive you into the ground, and it will hang you by the neck until you're dead. Okay, so here's one of mine. Not being a burden to other people. Not creating extra work for other people. Making life easier, not more difficult for people around me. And so, so this was tested this last week when I pulled out my city slicker boots and a jar of ink, and you know, tried to dress the soles like you do when you want to keep them fresh, and this is what happened. That time, Scott dressed his boot soles with ink on the cream-colored fabric sofa and then dressed the sofa, okay? This was our heirloom couch, the one we were going to pass on to our grandchildren. And so, here's my impulse reaction. I was by myself. If you, could, if, if you were a fly on the wall, this is what you have, would have heard. It's okay, children. Loser, loser. I am such a loser. I am the biggest loser. That's what I said really loud in my house all by myself and our dog's looking at me like, no, you're not. You know, she can sense distress and she takes care of you. So Patty walks into the house a little bit later and, and she says, hey, how, how was your day? I said, I'm a loser, a big, fat loser. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, look, look at what I did. And she says, loser? Okay. First things first, I love you so much more than I love a sofa. I love you so much more than I love a sofa. Maybe this is just an opportunity for me to remind you of that. You know, in 25 years, I, I, I have zero evidence that, that, that Patty will reject me because of something like this. Zero. And yet there's this thing in the heart, right, that says, okay, this person or these people, they're done with me after this. You know, it happens to me in social situations sometimes too. Not all the time, but sometimes. Um, you ever get this feeling like you're the most annoying person in the room and you're not really sure why you feel that way? You just feel like, I'm, I'm the most annoying person in the room. Why did I say that? Or why did I say it that way? Oh, man. Nobody's as awkward as, as I am. Yeah, I may be a pretty good preacher, but I'm a boring human. I'm just taking up space. You know, I feel that way in social situations, that I'm taking up space. Oh, they're just being polite. 
you know? And again, I, I, I've had people reverse that narrative for me. You know, just, just a, a few days ago, a person that, that, that I just love dearly and, and I just want to grow old with them. This is a person I just want to grow old with. And he says, I just want, and I'm, I'm sitting there in a social situation feeling annoying. And, and he says, I just want you to know, I wish I could see you a whole lot more than I get to see you because I love you. you. You are so important to me. And another guy leaned into me right before this service and said, I need you. I need you. I love you. I need you. You know, when we left the church that we planted and I pastored in Kansas City to go do another church plant in St. Louis, this is a, way back, a ways back, I got this email, right, and the, the subject line said, you know, this is after I announced I was moving on and our family was going to move to St. Louis, and the email, the subject line said, really need to talk to you. And, and every time I get a really need to talk to you, I feel like, oh gosh, I'm so found out. The, the shoe's going to drop. Uh, I'm so annoying. What did I do? What did I do? And, and to make matters worse, this was a guy. So every little secret in, in, in the, the, psycholo- the psychological world of every pastor. Every pastor has certain people in his church that he thinks hates them, hates him. Okay? And I'm not going to tell you who they are. But there are people here that I just assume they hate me, and why are they here? Like, why? It's a mystery to me why they haven't moved on, because I'm clearly so annoying to them. And this was one of those guys. And I get this email, and I'm like, okay, all right, I'll meet with him. We're leaving anyway. And, and, and so, so I met with him. We're having breakfast, and he says, I just want you to know, I have never felt a personal connection like a pastor like I've felt with you. And I feel like a part of me is dying because you're not going to be here. And I'm like, what? Seriously? And, and, and yet still, like, I'm 51 years old and I, I still, a lot of time, I feel like I'm the most annoying person in the room. Despite the lack of evidence given to me by the people around me. We cancel ourselves in ways that God won't. And in ways that God has given people to love us, won't. And yet we do. There's a better kind of fundamentalism that Paul is after. It's built around the fundamental of embrace. Verse 6, it's, it's first demonstrated to Paul. Peter, James, and John, the big three, Jesus is in a ring, says they added nothing to his message and it also says they embraced him as an equal. Whole context. Embrace this guy who, who was to the Christians as Hitler later would be to the Jews. And yet the grace of God blew through all that, transformed Saul of Tarsus, gave him a new name, Paul the Apostle, and that was enough for Peter, James, and John to say there's nothing you can do wrong in our eyes. You're our brother. You're a part of our family. We'll take the Jews. You take the Gentiles. True Christian fundamentalism is not what you think. It's not what you see on cable news. True Christian fundamentalism. It says this. You need two things. You absolutely need Jesus and you, you absolutely need one more thing, nothing else. Those are the two things you absolutely need in this universe, Jesus and nothing else. 
And if you have Jesus and nothing else, you belong with him and you belong with his family. You belong around this table. That's Christian fundamentalism. It makes you more loving, not less. It makes you less judgy, not more. We need Christianity that's built around Jesus, not around the stupidity of circumcision culture repackaged. It's also the fundamentalism, Paul's kind of fundamentalism, that leads to kindness sent in the direction of traditionally rejected people. Sinners, strugglers, skeptics, the poor, those who are chronically ill and contagious. These are the ones that, that, that are constantly being invited into Jesus' circle. Little, little children and women, both of whom were ostracized in that culture and treated as subhuman. Oh, and Gentiles. If you would have told the 16-year-old Paul, one day, sir, one day, young man, 16-year-old Paul, you're going to have more Gentile friends than you can count. And it's going to be through you that the entire Gentile world, the entire non-Jewish world, through all of history, future, it's going to be chiefly through you that the entire Gentile world will come to understand that if they have Jesus and nothing else, they belong. He would have said, you're nuts. Because the 16-year-old Paul would have said, what do you do with a Gentile? You cancel them. And yet here's Paul taking the Greek Gentile, Titus, under his wing as a protege. Here's Paul saying, the gospel I now proclaim, I proclaim especially to the Gentiles. And this message of freedom and belonging that I'm bringing to you, I'm fighting against these false teachers who refuse to accept that Jesus doesn't want to turn you into a Jew. He wants to turn you into a better Gentile or a better black person or a better middle management person or a better woman or a better child or a better athlete or a better unemployed person. He wants to turn you into a better version of who you are. He doesn't have a cookie cutter solution for you to fit into and to pressure you to conform. Paul says, I'm fighting the false teachers so that the truth of the gospel will be preserved for you. You being the Gentiles in Galatia. Why did it matter so much to Paul? Why should it matter so much to us? First, because in this direct encounter with Jesus, Paul encountered a love that he'd never imagined was possible. He didn't even have a category for it, but it it changed him. You know, he says repeatedly here that he didn't get his message, he didn't get his understanding of grace or the gospel from any of the apostles, from any New Testament scriptures. They hadn't been written or published yet. He got it, he says, through direct revelation from Jesus himself. The risen Christ himself accounts for the complete 180 that happened in Paul's life. Jesus Christ, who got canceled on the cross, voluntarily got himself canceled, voluntarily turned himself into a slave to give us freedom and and, and to liberate us from, from, from any sort of fear that we would ever get canceled at the judgment seat of God. 
He receives Paul as a son, as a brother, gives him a, a job, and then continues to show Paul his love and affection and message of belonging through the kindness of others who are connected to Jesus. He goes up to Jerusalem, it says, with his new friend Barnabas, who we know is the son of encouragement, the one who puts courage into Paul and so many others. He befriended and brought in Paul. He's always building bridges, Barnabas is. He's always making room for new people and unsuspecting people. He's treated as an equal by the big three, already talked about that. He's brought into the the inner ring. Verse 5, he's zealous that the gospel be preserved also for the Gentiles. So as we go to the Lord's table, I want to finish the sermon with an assignment. And, and, And there's two things to do. One is a conversation while the Lord's Supper is happening. It's part of how we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper here, is, is we treat it like a Thanksgiving feast. And so, so let's, let's do this. Imagine right now, use your imagination, and come up with a one-sentence answer to this question. What would a church look like that extends this message of Jesus plus nothing and complete belonging to any kind of person anywhere who has Jesus and nothing else? What, what would it actually optically look like? And another one-sentence answer, what's the first step that I can take in order to contribute to that culture? Okay, so find someone and talk to them and share with them your two sentences and ask them what theirs are. And then I'll give you the other one at the benediction. Um, But for now, why don't we go ahead and affirm our belief in Jesus Christ by standing together and affirming the Apostles' Creed as the kids come in and as the table leaders, elders, deacons, deaconesses, and other servers make their way to their tables. Uh, I'll ask all of us to answer this question. Daughters and sons of God, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there you will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for voluntarily being canceled out for our sake so that we would never be canceled out by the Father. And so there would be a place of belonging for us in your family, in the church, around your table, with the body and the blood, with the bread and the cup. We thank you that all we need in order to belong is Jesus Christ and the other thing that we need is nothing else. And so, Lord, help that message sink in with us. Help that message form and shape us so that we would live free instead of living like voluntary slaves. 
And all this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, who is the King. Amen.